This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. I appreciate you tuning in today. We are continuing our Roman study, and it's been a few weeks. I know I apologize for that. Uh, time just got away from me, but we are picking up in Romans chapter 8, where we left off. I think this is the second part of a four-part series just within Romans chapter 8. There's so much to think about, so much to to chew on here in Romans 8. And to get us started, I'm going to read verses 6 through 8, because this is kind of the main focus of this portion of our Romans 8 study we're thinking about today. So Romans 8 and verse 6, if you want to be turning there with me, it says this, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So just from those few verses alone, there's so much that, uh, in my judgment at least, has been misconstrued to the point that it doesn't match other other biblical teaching and what Paul is saying here. For example, that last part, that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, there's some who've taken that to the extreme of a kind of Gnostic type uh, doctrine wherein Paul is, is saying that uh, just just because we're physical, just because we have fleshly bodies, um, by that fact alone, we can't please God. Well, even Jesus had a physical fleshly body, right? So that that's not that can't be what he's saying here. But he's using flesh and spirit in a very distinct kind of sense. And, and we've talked about that previously. Uh, we'll go over it again today uh, to some extent. But we really um, talked more about that, discussed that in more detail in, in previous studies. So I, I would direct your attention to SoundCloud um, or you know our podcast on iTunes or Google Google Play. Uh, and go back to some of those previous Roman studies in Romans chapter 7, um, all the way up to the previous one where we discussed the, the work of the Holy Spirit. So we think about, um, I want to go back to Gethsemane for just a moment by way of introduction here. That As Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, he called his disciples to pray with him. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so this is the kind of flesh that, that Jesus is talking about, and Paul is talking about here. It's the same kind of idea. It's not that flesh that just we have bodies, we have fleshly bodies, but um, we're talking about a specific part of us, uh, a specific, specific part of our nature. And Jesus knows better than anybody what it means to wrestle with the flesh. He was a man in every sense of the word uh, that, that we are, and he was tempted in every way. That we are. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, he was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. He he perfectly, Jesus perfectly exemplifies the principle laid down in this section of Romans is the point. When Paul says we're, we need to have our minds set on the spirit for that is life and peace, but the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. So Jesus perfectly exemplifies what it is to have a mind uh, set on on the spirit and to to live and walk according to the spirit, and so he he put to death fleshly deeds perfectly by submitting to the, to the spirit. In John eight twenty nine, he said, "I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father." And you know that's that's an absolute statement, and it's not he wasn't exaggerating, right? He's perfect. Peter calls him the Lamb without blemish, and so. As we're thinking about what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8 and calling us to do, as in all things, Jesus is our perfect example. If we're, if we're to overcome the flesh, that part of us that Satan 
tempts that uh, you know that carnal side of us that that Satan targets and wants uh, us to break down and satisfy in unlawful ways. If we're going to overcome that, just as Jesus did, we're going to have to do it by choosing God's will over our own and setting our mind on the Spirit through prayer, uh, through diligent study, and looking at the Holy Spirit's word and application of that word and clinging to it. And so long as we are here, so long as we are here in this life, in this world, we're going to wrestle with fleshly desires, which Paul says, excuse me, which uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 11, uh, fleshly desires which wage war against our souls. And Paul will say the same thing essentially in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 when he says, walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we're going to see a lot of similar kind of um, uh, teaching points here in our context in, in Romans chapter 8. So Paul isn't the only writer to address the spirit-flesh conflicts, uh, co- uh, conflict. rather. Peter does also. We see Jesus talking about it there in Matthew 26 as he's praying in Gethsemane. Uh, this, uh, this willingness of the spirit, but the flesh being weak. Uh, this, this war that's being waged by the flesh against our souls. So let's talk more about that. And, you know, it's... It's, it's really, this is the main point that Paul has in view, um, beginning in, in chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, there is now no condemnation, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, so as we are going to be thinking about this, this battle between spirit and the flesh, let's remember Paul's main point here that he's leading off with, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means is, is that there is no condemnation for those in fellowship with Christ Jesus. So to be in Christ Jesus, it's not a spatial relationship, right? We're not talking about being inside of Christ as like we're inside a house or a car or something like that. Uh, but Paul's talking about fellowship. He's talking about a relationship. So there's no condemnation with those in fellowship with Christ Jesus. In fellowship with Christ, fellowship with God is always conditioned upon obedience to his will always conditioned upon obedience to his will. Um, and sin breaks that breaks that fellowship. Uh, let's just to substantiate that, let scripture comment comment on that point or make that point even I should say for us. Just look at first John chapter one. There's a number of texts we could go to, but I'm going to use first John chapter one verses six through ten to show that fellowship with God is conditional is and is is conditioned upon our obedience to his will. Uh, so John says, we'll just read verses 5 through 10 of 1 John 1. It's pretty short. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and if the truth and the and the truth is not in us, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Uh, so several things in that text about the nature of God um, and and how that nature is to be reflected in our own lives, that he is light. Uh, there is no darkness in him, and also there's there's no compatibility with him. Uh, and, and darkness, or the deeds of darkness, or the deeds of the flesh, we might say. But Paul says, excuse me, John says, we have fellowship with him if we walk in the light. 
right? That's that's what he says in verses six and seven. If if we're claiming, you know, we can say we have fellowship all day long, if we say that we have fellowship, and yet we're we're walking in darkness, we're we're not living uh, in a way that uh, it tries to conform uh, with God's will, uh, then we're just liars. John says we lie and we do not practice the truth. Uh, so notice the very practical nature of faith in this context, right? And that that that. Uh, faith is not just a passive agreement with a set of principles. It's not just kind of like this intellectual thing that we just talk about or, or we we feel that we have. No, it's it's something that we practice. Verse six to practice the truth. But if we ver, uh, verse seven. But if we walk in the light, again, there's that practical nature. If we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. And then the following verses tell us how that happens, how the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Um, if we, verse 9, confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not like John is saying uh, you just do the best you can and then God's grace takes care of the rest. No, it, it's it's all of God's grace. It's 100% grace that we need for forgiveness of, of sins and, and nothing we can do is going to earn that or score points with God, uh, but we are obligated to walk in the light, and we're still going to stumble, uh, but we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be humble about that and recognize our need for forgiveness and continually confess and continually pray for forgiveness as we repent and strive to do better, knowing that our God deserves our very best uh, because of what He gave for us. And so... And all of this has to do with our point with regard to fellowship and being in Christ Jesus and, and what that what that means. Um, fellowship with Him is conditioned upon obedience to His His will. And so Romans eight and verse one, you know this point Paul's making or leading with about con- there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's not going to happen by itself. That's not just going to take care of itself. We have to make the decision to respond to the will of God, the grace of God as it's offered in Jesus Christ, and walk accordingly or live accordingly. Practice the practice the truth. And if we're not, well that means we don't we haven't accepted the grace of God or we don't appreciate the grace of God. All right. So so Paul is making essentially the same point here that the believer's faithfulness to Christ, their walking according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, allows him or her to remain in a covenant relationship with Jesus wherein we find that forgiveness that we've been talking about, or the Scripture reveals. right? So Paul isn't saying anything different than John. Really, John is saying, walk in the light. Paul's wording it differently. He's saying, set your mind on the Spirit and put the deeds of the flesh to death and walk according to the Spirit. That's another phrase that he, that's the phrase that he uses anyway in Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Why is that necessary? Right? If we, if, if, if we can't be severed from Christ, if we can't fall away, then why is it necessary to, to even walk by the Spirit? Well, it's because we can still sin, and sin still has an effect upon our souls and upon a relationship with God. Uh, and so that's why we have this urgency, uh, this obligation. We should feel urgency, and, and we have this obligation to walk according to the Spirit in a way that's pleasing to God. And when we fail as we most surely will, we should be honest and confess that. Uh, So Paul specifically says now, moving forward here in verse 2, he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free 
from the law of sin and death. Uh, so let's talk about this law of the spirit of life that's at work in the Christian, uh, which is distinct from the truth it, itself, right? So when he says the law of the spirit of life, um, he's talking about something um, in in contrast to this other uh, thing that he mentions in verse two, the law of sin and death. Uh, so what's he, what does he mean there? Uh, well, this law of the spirit of life at work in the believer is um, distinct from the truth itself, but it, he, it's really talking about a desire to submit to the truth. If we if we think about what Paul had just said previously in Romans chapter seven, as he's uh, really fleshing out what um, you know this conflict that and using himself as an example that he's wrestling with his own flesh. He, I'm just going to go back and read verses 23 and 24. Uh, real quick, he says, I, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So notice he says here in verse 23 that he's talking about this law of his mind um, versus the, the law that he sees in his members, which is um, which produces death in, in him. Uh, so if you go back in that context, you know, earlier in the chapter, uh, you know, in verses 14 through 20, he's talking about this desire that he has to do the right thing. And he he's willing to do the right thing. But nevertheless, he finds himself continually falling short. Um, he says, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate in verse 15. He says, if I do the very thing that I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So there's this willingness. And, and, and he talks about this law of his mind in which his mind Wants to submit, but he knows that he continually fails and, and falls short. And he calls that the law of death in his members, or the law of sin and death. And so he's not talking about like a codified law, something that's written down, this law of the spirit of life versus law of sin and death that's also written down somewhere. But he, he's talking about patterns of behavior and patterns of thought. And this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, or, or the law of his mind as he describes it there, um, is talking about this desire to submit to the truth uh, because it is only the truth that sets us free from sin as it reveals Jesus Christ and, and His will and His sacrifice. Only truth frees us from sin and spiritual death. And those are Jesus' words in John chapter 8 and verse 31 when He says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, how? Because it reveals Him. Uh, because it reveals how to be forgiven through his sacrifice and, and how to have a relationship with him. It reveals his expectations and so on and so forth. And, and in that way, and in, in, in submitting to it, uh, we can be free from sin. But we have to have the desire to submit to it. We have to have, as Paul said, this, this mindset that's set on the Spirit. Now, some folks in the religious world will say, well, that's impossible because we're totally depraved or they'll use some language like this. But... Um, what we find in Scripture is, is just the opposite. We're not born totally corrupt and, and in sin, but eventually we make the choice to sin, and that separates us from God. And we have to return to Him through Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 6, I believe it's in verse 45, that all who have heard uh, and learned of the Father come to me. Let me double check that real quick. I think it's John chapter 6. Verse 45, um, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. And Jesus says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Uh, so we have Jesus here saying in a different context in John chapter 6, 
uh, that those who come to the Father, or those who come to Him, rather, are those who have heard and those who have learned. Right? Those who have heard and learned who are willing to accept the truth and be reconciled to God on the basis of that truth, meaning following through with what He has said and what they have learned from Him, uh, to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's not that you know that this is this kind of mindset, uh, this returning, this uh, spiritual mindset is is impossible apart from some miracle uh, performed by the Holy Spirit on our on our minds. Um, no, it's it's a mindset we have to determine to have uh, that I'm going to love the truth, as Paul says in Second Thessalonians two ten, and I'm going to submit myself to it to the best of my ability, even with the understanding uh, that I'm imperfect and I'm going to botch it. Uh, but um, but as Paul says in Romans chapter seven, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, uh, who saves us. Right? He asks the question as he's thinking about that conflict. He's saying, "Who, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death?" And he says, "Thanks be to God through through Jesus Christ." Um, so it it is the Spirit inspired Word that gives that gives life. As Jesus said in John chapter 6, again, in verse 63, later in that context, he says, the words I speak are spirit and life. So, so let's let's recap for just a moment. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those in fellowship with Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus, which is conditioned upon obedience to his will, um, being in fellowship with him. And if we're going to be obedient to his will, then we have to have this law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, this desire uh, in our spirits to submit to his will so that we can be set free from the law uh, of sin and death and not be entangled in fleshly desires um, and, and given over to those. So the desire to set um, my affections on truth and obey Christ is what Paul called the law of, of his mind back in Romans seven twenty three that that we read. And again, that's something that's distinct from the gospel, but nevertheless, um, it desires, it's a mindset that desires to submit to the gospel and the truth. And Paul says so long as he did, he would be free from the law of sin and death. Uh, and he's not talking about the law of Moses, right? Again, he's not talking about any kind of codified, written down law in either case, but he's talking about a, a mindset, a pattern of, of behavior, right? The law of Moses was not the law of, of sin and death, right? It exposed sin, Romans seven thirteen, but um, but it did not... Um, it was not evil in of itself, which is another point that Paul makes in, in Romans chapter 7. He calls the law, meaning the law of Moses, holy and just and good, because it's from a holy and just and, and good God. Um, but Paul, again, here is talking about a general sense um, and an observable rule of, of law um, that he sees within himself, this inclination to sin. And we, we do it the same way. We use that law in the same sense today. We know we talk about Murphy's Law and things like this. And we're just talking about a rule that's not written down, but that we observe um, through our experience and and um, and, and, and in the world as, as well. Uh, but when one understands the grace of God and truth and submits to Christ, um, Scripture reveals that we are made a new creature with a new heart and a new mind. A new mind. So that's that's an important point to to bring into the text here. This um, because Paul is talking about a mindset. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, in verse ten. Second Corinthians chapter five, 
Um, I said verse 10, but I, I meant verse 17, where Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, again, so that's in meaning in fellowship with Christ. If anyone is in fellowship with Christ, he is a new creature, and the old things passed away. Uh, behold, new things have come. And so there we see, um, as I mentioned a moment ago, Scripture teaching that if we are in fellowship with Christ, that means we, we are a new we're a new creation. The, the the old man that we were should be gone. Uh, we should have no desire to serve him anymore. Those those desires. Another text, Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews chapter ten and verse uh, sixteen says that this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them. And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So in the new covenant. The godly person is characterized by this new heart and this new mind wherein the law of God dwells and this desire to obey God's law as as a new creature, a new creation um, in which we are serving Christ. Uh, and so we find forgiveness so long as we serve in this, in this new life. Um, as we acknowledge our dependence upon Christ for forgiveness, as we just saw in, in 1 John 1, um, you know, nobody ever gets to a point uh, where, you know, as John says, if we say we have no sin, we, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. No, we have to continue to acknowledge that we, we, are, we need the blood of Christ and we are imperfect creatures and we're desiring to serve him to the best of our ability and we're urgently seeking his, his will um, so that we can, we can be pleasing to him in every respect and maintain fellowship with him. And the law of Moses could not... Um, accomplish this as it was as Paul says in the very next verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 he says that that uh, it was weak through the flesh uh, so we go back to our context and in, in Romans chapter 8 Paul is going to make this contrast here the law of Christ and law uh, excuse me the law of the spirit of life in Christ um, and what that can do and how it has set us free from the law of sin and death and he says for what the law could not do that's the law of Moses weak as it was through the flesh, God did in sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. Uh, so the law of Moses could not make one perfect in conscience. Um, it was weak through the flesh, uh, meaning it was weak by virtue of its as, of its subjects who are fleshly. But again, you know, Romans seven twelve, the law is holy, the law is good, uh, but it could not make one perfect in conscience. Guilt for sin was never completely removed, as we see in Hebrews chapter seven. In verse 18, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9, and in verse 14, that those sacrifices offered repeatedly could not make the worshiper perfect in conscience. And there was a reminder of sins year after year, um, thereby showing that the blood of animals that was being offered in, in, in those sacrifices would never be sufficient for forgiveness. It was just, the whole system was just a, a, a temporary holding holding place that was pointing forward to, to something else, pointing forward to a time of reformation where God's people could be perfectly cleansed in conscience. And and to what extent, you know, those in the Old Testament understood this is debatable, but they but they did understand that the system itself was temporary. Um that real forgiveness would ultimately come through this Messiah. Real deliverance would ultimately come through this Messiah. Um, and that's what Paul is saying here, that God accomplished this 
cleansing, this perfecting of his people through sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And that doesn't mean Jesus was sinful uh, simply because he had a body. Rather, he was he was made, as the Hebrew writer says in verse in chapter 2 and verse 17, that Jesus was made like his brethren in all things. And so he had a human body, just like we do. Uh, he inhabited a fleshly body. Uh, but since the flesh is weak and the appetites and the desires which we unlawfully fulfill are predominantly fleshly ones, um, that's why Paul refers to flesh here as sinful flesh. So again, the point is not that Jesus was sinful in, in any way, um, but he was made like us, and nevertheless, he was perfect. Uh, Jesus, and he did all of that. He lived a perfect life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. He, he did all of this so that, uh, as Paul says in verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, as Paul discusses this righteous requirement of, of the law, um, we, we find that it is right standing before God. Um, that, that was the righteous requirement of the law. To have fellowship with God, we had to be justified before Him and a right standing before Him. And that could only be fulfilled through forgiveness in, in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's point at the end of chapter 7 and verse 24. Uh, that he knew that he himself, he, he was incapable and all men are cap incapable of keeping the law perfectly, which would lead to justification. And so there had to be, there had to be forgiveness. There had to be uh, that sacrifice offered to uh, remove sin. Uh, so the requirement of the law is not fulfilled in Christians because Christ's perfect life is imputed to us. Rather, his his perfect life allowed him to be a perfect sacrifice by which we can find forgiveness and our sins be finally and fully removed um, and forgiveness be fully realized. That's how the righteousness of the requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us through Jesus Christ and because of the way he lived, which was perfect, which allowed him to be a perfect sacrifice, which can remove sins once and for all time. Again, if we take advantage of that sacrifice. And Paul, again, is reminding us that this standing with God, even through Jesus Christ, is, is conditional. It's, it is only insofar as we walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So I must not only have a desire to serve God, but follow through with that desire and deny myself and submit to His Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um. And the way in which I or any other Christian is going to accomplish this is by, as Paul says here in verses 5 through 8, this is what he's explaining, the way that we're going to accomplish this, walking after the Spirit, is by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. In verse 5, he says, Those who are according to the flesh again set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So it's it's a mindset, right? Verse 6, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on on the spirit is life and and peace. And if I'm going to have a mind set on the flesh, Paul says I can't please God in verse 8. Um so this is a command. This is a uh, it's a, it's a command of attitude, a command of disposition. Um this is how I'm to direct my affections and my concerns and my desires uh even when it's inconvenient, even when I don't feel like it. Uh I I still I'm in control of my will, I'm in control of my mind, and I must direct them toward and, and, and fix them on uh, the person of Jesus Christ and His um, 
his will, right? Which is uh, spiritual. And so to, to be fleshly, to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is to be primarily concerned with and desire to, to serve fleshly appetites, right? To be just totally beholden to my own desires rather than to God's. Uh, and those things may not even be sinful in and of themselves, but they but they can be simply because I am placing them before uh, doing God's will. Right? Nothing wrong with um, you know, for example, spending time with family and going to baseball games and things like this. Um, but that can become sinful if it is taking precedent over God's will. And, you know, if I'm doing it, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning when I should be assembling with my brethren, or if I'm uh, doing it at the expense of, uh, you know, spiritual instruction to to my to my children and to my family. Well, then something that's not sinful in of itself has has become that because I am just choosing uh, to satisfy my own desires or maybe those of my family because it's fun and, uh, you know, whatever rationale I want to use rather than uh, doing God's will. Um, so likewise, those who walk according to the spirit are spiritually minded. Uh, to be carnally minded leads to death because it ignores the things of God. It produces a life of sin, um, just chasing after pleasures, even, and, you know, again, pleasures that may not be sinful in and of themselves. Um, there can be no other God besides our God. And if there is, you know, if, if there's no other God besides ourselves uh, and what I want and what I think, and then I'm not. I'm going to stop at nothing to please myself. Uh, that's to be carnally minded. Yeah, that's to set ourselves up as our our own idols. Um, and Paul says in verse seven, that, you know, the carnal mind is hostile towards God. Right? It's in, it's incompatible with a godly mindset, a mindset on the spirit, because it's refusing to acknowledge God. It's refusing to uh, submit to, to submit to Him. It's refusing the peace that God affords. Um, and Paul says it's, it's not even able to do so. It's not even able to, to submit. Um, and the reason is, is, as Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, is that no man can serve two masters. Right? We can't, we can't try to even say, well, I'm mostly serving Jesus while we're keeping our toes in the world. You know? Um, friendship with the world is, is hatred toward God. You know, we know what Jesus says about those who are lukewarm in Revelation 3.16. He spits them out of his mouth. You know, so it, we can't have it both ways is is the point. We have to have this this loyalty, this mindset on the Spirit to, um, to Jesus Christ. And even partial loyalty to the world and what it offers is ultimately enmity against God. You know, James says in James 4 and verse 4 that, you know, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred toward toward God? And so those those who are walking according to the flesh cannot please God so long as they remain in that state. But the good news is they can choose to come out of that. They can choose to, um, as Jesus said in John 6, 45, hear, hear and learn of the Father and submit to what they have heard and what they have learned. Right, that's what Paul said earlier in Romans chapter six and verses seventeen and eighteen. He says, "Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching, or to that pattern of teaching, and you were freed from sin and became slaves of righteousness." Right. And so there again, Paul is is 
saying essentially the same thing that Jesus did in John six forty five. These people heard and they learned, and Paul says they were obedient from the heart to what they heard. That what he calls that form of teaching or pattern of teaching, which is the gospel. And so when we do that, the Holy Spirit can bring and does bring peace and life to to disciples because he can bring to uh, our remembrance what Jesus said. Um, he can. It's the power is in the word itself. You know, we have we have life on the same basis that the those ancient brethren had life on. It was on the basis of his his words. And a mindset on these things, spiritual things of God, revealed in His Word, will know life and, and peace. Uh, and again, because the power is in is in the Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's not that He's working through any kind of miraculous kind of means to cause us to remember or inspire us in the way that He inspired the the, the apostles, but um, nevertheless. Because our our minds are meeting the mind of God in in the Scripture, um, to the degree that we submit to it and store it up in our minds and hearts, that is the degree the Holy Spirit will work in us. And so, Isaiah twenty six and verse three. Let me throw this this verse into the discussion. The one whose mind is stayed on the Lord will be kept in perfect peace. Isaiah says, "The one whose mind." Or your translation might say the one whose spirit is stayed on the Lord will be kept in perfect peace. And so this isn't a new new teaching that Paul is being inspired to deliver here. It's He's talking about a mind set on the law of God, the, the law of Christ and his words. A mind desirous of, of obeying them. This will produce life. This will produce peace. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what... What are we setting our minds on? What are we focused on? What what are our major concerns in this life? What do I truly love? Where are my affections? Are, are those all those things directed toward God and His truth, and submitting to His Spirit and what the Spirit has revealed in the Word? Um, or am I primarily fixed upon this world and the affairs of this world and my own ambitions and and how to please myself uh, and my own and my own interests? Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap corruption, excuse me, will reap destruction. And whoever sows to the Spirit uh, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So what is what is our mindset? Are we sowing to the Spirit or are we sowing to the flesh? Remember, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God and it's not even able to do so. So we have to throw off a carnal, fleshly mindset and desire to serve God, be obedient from the heart. Have you done that? Maybe there's something we can do here at Leon Valley to um, pray for you or assist you in some way, and you can contact us via email at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com, um, and you can find some other contact information there on the on our website um, at leonvalleychurch.org. So please contact us if that's your desire. I've enjoyed studying with you today. I hope that you tune in again soon. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.